Church, it's good to see you this morning. Are you glad to be here this morning? Well, I tell you, I have been at camp. Now, if you've never been to Cross Timbers, it's down there where you go, uh, exit 51. Of course, you know, everybody calls that the pie place exit, and where you get the little fried pie exit, that's where you go. But you don't head across to Falls Creek, you go to the west a little bit, and you'll hit Cross Timbers. Now, the thing about it, I've never been there before. It's a beautiful little camp, and they do a great job down there, and we took some amazing kids, and I got to meet some amazing kids down there. And, uh, but I can tell you this, it's down in a bowl of mountains. And I'm telling you, wasn't it? You get down there, and that that Tuesday, we were down there, and they were doing water sports, and I thought, they don't need a lake. They just need to jump in where I'm sweating, and they'll have all the water sports they want. Because, I mean, it was pretty brutal down there. But I come from camp, and and I'm thankful for that. We get to take our our kids to uh, and our young people to camp because it's important for them to get out of this world for a little bit and to experience worship, and they did a great job of worshiping down there. And I want to tell you something. This staff down there at Cross Timbers, these young people, they woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, sometimes earlier that, and I bet they don't go to bed till 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night. And amazing, and I'm so thankful for them. And so um, this week, pray for them as they continue camp and, uh, and for the administration as well. Very thankful for that. I'm also thankful for the children that we took, I cannot believe how much energy these kids have in the heat. You know, I, I wilted like a bad flower, you know, <laughs> and a couple times, but it's amazing to me how much energy they have, and so I'm thankful for them. Now, I, 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 let me set up a brief scene here for you. They were going in there, and they're getting ready to do these water sports, and so the kids are getting changed and everything, and, and, um, and you have to have water shoes or closed-toe shoes, and they have to not be able to come off. And so this one young man was standing there, and he had those clogs, you know, the ones that look like the little uh, uh, Dutch shoe that they have a clog on there. And he says, that's not going to work. That's going to come off. And the young man looked at him and says, what if I put it in sport mode? And he flipped up the back of it. I had no idea what that thing's for. (laughs) I had no idea that's sport mode. And I thought, man, that's like giving it the gas, isn't it? On motorcycle, and so this young man got into sport mode. And so the reason I say that to you this morning is, we get into the Word of God. I want you to flip into sport mode. I want you to take a look at the Bible this morning and just see the, the great teaching there, but also the application that we can that we can just uh, take into our lives and say, "Man, whatever I face, God is there." Now we're going to be in two different passages because we're going to be having a teaching time in Philippians and an application time in Acts. And I hope that you're there this morning because we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Now pardon me just for a moment because I did take this from camp, this particular section of Scripture. And there's a couple things that I have to admit to you right now that I took from the pastor. I don't call it stealing. I just call it uh, borrowing a little bit, okay? And, but that's okay because um, I remember... It was Adrian Rogers a long time ago said, if your bullets fit my gun, go ahead. And then another one said, and I think this one was actually, I uh, I think this was uh, W.A. Criswell said, we all milk the same cow, but make your own butter. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into the Word of God here today, and there's a couple things I want to share with you, but there's some things that uh, as we put the application to this, 
just to see how magnificent God works in our lives and has the capability of doing things that we'd never imagined before. Let's stand together as we read this. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 first, and the reason we stand up is because we want to give God all the honor and glory when it comes to His Word, and we do this because He is absolutely so great to us. So in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to back up a, a couple verses that we, were, that, um, that we were in verse 8 and 9, but I'm going to start at verse 6. Now this is Paul writing to Philippians because they had some things going on that, that was just really starting to scare them a little bit, but he says this in verse 6 in chapter 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now then, turn with me very quickly over to Acts. Because here comes the application. Just a little bit more, and, uh, and, and let me read just a little bit more. Starting in verse 22. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore the robes off them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. This is Paul and Silas they're doing this to, because they had uh, healed a, a man, and they had also uh, taken a demon out of a young girl. A possession of a young girl. And when they and they proceeded in order to be beaten with rods, verse 23, and when they had been inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Always look at those three little transition letters that see so many times in Scripture. But about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep, and he had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. Oh, man. What a scene. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the, the ministry of Paul, for the ministry of Silas. We thank you, God, because you have inspired them to write these words of consolation, encouragement, and peace to us. And Father God, we know that as we're here today, uh, that you have every, um, every ability in our lives, Father, that when we look at these men, we see that they had a midnight, but they chose to praise in the midnight. Thank you, O oh God, for the ability to praise in our darkest times. And Father God, we do not understand sometimes what's happening to us, what's happening to our, 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 our state, or what's happening into our, our nation or this world, but we know that you do. And help us, God, to understand how you are there and to have peace and praise in the midnight. If there's any here this morning that do not know you as Savior, 
let it be today. If there's any here that knows you as Savior and they're struggling, let them come forth and sing the praises of God and, and, and get that peace. Oh, Lord God, let us not be shy. Let us enjoy these words and know that our God reigns in all things. It's in that name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Okay. So our main scripture is, is um, in Philippians, and so here is the teaching. So Paul is teaching the, the Philippians. He says, you're having some rough times, but he says, I want you to remember something in these rough times. He says, be anxious for nothing. He says, and, and so you're, I'm going to show you four things here very quickly, and then we're going to go to the book of Acts. I'm going to show you the application of those things. He says, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So Paul is saying, if these things that are troubling you, if you're keeping them inside, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Give them to God. Let your request be known. He says, don't be anxious for anything. You have the Lord of heaven listening to you. It's important that we understand this because, because we get anxious by a lot of things. We get anxious about uh, the economy and all these things, and that's okay. It's, it's, it's a natural thing. But what we have to do is not concentrate on those things. What we have to do is concentrate on the Lord of heaven who has control of all those things, and that way we can live in peace. Because peace, this is the second thing, is what he wants us to be. Look what it says here in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will do what? It will guard your heart. So if you make your request known to God, there's a certain peace about that. And the peace of God, because God will say, okay, I've got this. So if you give him all the prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and requesting God, the peace of God that beyond anything we can possibly see, we're going to see that in Acts in a few minutes. And so when we see that, we know that, that um, he's going to be able to do things that we'll never understand or have any capability in our own, but yet God can. Always remember Luke 137, for with God nothing is impossible. You may be thinking that there's an impossibility in your life right now. There's no way this can ever, ever uh, be untangled, the, the mess or whatever it is. You are shortchanging God in that because the God of heaven can do anything at any time with anybody. Praise God. I am I am living proof of that, changing me from, from one who is lost to found. Praise God, and he's done it so many times with many of us. But we have to understand that the peace of God will guard your heart. I like to think of um, many years at the, the Sight and Sound Theater in Branson. How many people have been there? Been to Sight and Sound? And we went there, and there's a lion out front. Anybody get to see the lion, take a picture of the lion? Man, my kids could not wait to jump on that thing. I think of that as the Lion of Judah outside the entrance of my life, guarding my life. And we need to think about that because he'll do that for us. But we also see in verse 9, it's about peace again. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So we put it in our minds and we rest assured in God, be anxious for nothing. And we know that he's going to be guarding. He says, practice these things. Practice the supplication, practice the prayer, practice all these things. And it says here, the God of peace shall be with you. Now I tell you, in the midst of the world that we live in now, some of the greatest words we'll ever hear. The God of peace will be with you. 
Practice them. Give them to God. And there's a fourth one I want you to see here in the middle of all this. It says this, let your mind dwell on these things. Now, what I took from the pastor down there is this. God wants us to think. He wants us to be able to use the brain matter that he has given us. He's given us the amazing capability. We have been to the moon. And, you know, we went to the moon on a slide ruler. There wasn't any really computers back then. We went with a slide ruler and math. My wife always tells me, trust the math. She's giving me one of these right now so she knows she's a math nerd, right? Trust the math. You've got to trust God. You know, the thing is that we have to understand is, is we live in a world that, that um, amazing things happen, but we get, sometimes we get so busy we forget that God is there. But he's given us a mind to think, a mind to imagine, a mind to dream, a mind to, to be able to, to say, you know, I, I desire this or I desire that. He's given us the free will. We can walk where we want to walk. And we live in a country that God has given us, by the way, where we can freely do that. You need to thank God for this nation because what we have here is pretty rare in the world where we can come together and open up this book because I guarantee you there's places in the world where you get thrown in prison just for saying that. Praise God for that. But he wants us to think. He says, I want you to dwell on think of these that the God of peace is with you. God wants us to think about these things. And what a difference, it, and this is the point I want to make this morning, what a difference it will make in our lives if we were able to measure every situation through these verses. Think about that for a moment. If this is my, if this is my, my, my standard, what a difference it'd make in my life. You know, I like to do woodworking and the thing. I'm not great at it, but I like to uh, fiddle around with it. And I know that I have things in, in, the, in my garage. They're not up yet. They're still kind of in a mess, but I'm getting there. But they help me make things level. They help me make things straight, plumb. They help me make straight lines. And so when we understand Scripture, it is called the canon of Scripture. And canon means straight line, straight rod. It's our measuring. It's what everything is built upon. You know, we, we talk about science and we talk about the, the laws of nature and how those things aren't, you can't bend them, you can't break them because they're going to be every time. Who made that? It wasn't by chance well, I'm going to have a sermon about that pretty, um, for too long. But God has given us the ability to say, this is how we're to live. Don't go over here and stray from it. Isn't that what Jesus said? And don't go over here and stray from it. You walk right down the middle of my word and my life. So if we do these things, we will need to think and dwell on these things. And God wants us to think. And what a difference it'd make if we put these things into motion. I'm all about putting things into motion because you can have a concept. There's a lot of good concepts out there, but the difference is if you're going to put it in motion or not. There have been many big things that people have thought about doing, but they've never gotten into motion. And so let's put that down in our lives. I want to get really serious about God in my life. I know I need it and everything. Are you putting that into motion? I need, to put my, I need to make sure that Sunday school is something that I, I, I just truly know I needed. Have you put that in motion? I know that there's some things in my life that need to change, some things I'm paying attention to that I shouldn't pay attention to, and I need to give that to God. Am I putting that into motion? You see, God wants us to be in this, um, in this activity, in this intentionality. 
And so we get wrapped up in these things, and God wants us to think about these things. He says, look at this, he says, and, and so you're going to see six whatevers, and we see it on Levi's shirt over there, the six whatevers, and it's not a whatever, you know, type thing. I had a daughter, and sometimes she would get the hands on the hip thing, or whatever, Dad, and it's not that. What he's saying is whatever we have here. And so whatever means a comparison to quantity. So whatever you have in that comparison, that great quantity, and God has all the quantity we could possibly imagine and need. He says that comparison as to quantity, he says whatever is true. So let's go through them very quickly. I've got time for it. I've got a clock down here. I've got time for it. Whatever is true. What is true? True is whatever is constant and verifiable. Think about that for a moment. Everything that is true is constant and verifiable. I brought up um, Crystal up here a couple weeks ago. You drop that ball, every time it's going to fall. It is truth. Gravity's there. We don't understand it, but it's there. It's true because it's constant and verifiable. God's word is constant and always verifiable. He's not going to lead us astray. It's not, his, it's not in his, his, um, uh, his character to lead anybody astray. He's trying to draw us to him. Instead of pushing us away. Oh man, there's so many people I talk to say, God's just this great big angry being up there and all he wants is, is, to, is not my benefit. That can be further from the truth because he sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth that we may have life in him. So God is true. He says whatever is honorable and that means respectable, integrity. So whatever out there, so whatever you're doing in your life, whatever's honorable, whatever's integrity, because there's a lot of things the opposite of that. I can't dwell on that, but whatever these things, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just. And whatever just means this, that which is proper, that which is right. Now, a lot of people get just and fair mixed up. My kids got just and fair mixed up all the time. I have three kids, and I'm not here this morning, so I talk about them all I want to. <laughs> we weren't big soda drinkers when, I was, uh, when the kids were little, but I guarantee if you put juice or soda in a cup, it better be the same amount in every one. And these kids became scientists because they were down there making sure that the last little millimeter, that they were going to do it. Now, what would happen if I gave one more than the other two? What's the first thing that would happen? I got a lot of parents in here. Got a lot of parents in here. There's this difference between fairness and just. And they'll say, well, yeah, it may not be fair, but you see, I'm portioning this out because one's bigger, you know, you can take more, whatever. I tried to make as many, but God is just. He is just in all the things he does. He is, he is that proper, he is right. And whatever he does will always be just. My grandfather told me a long time ago, he says, son, he said, life is not fair. It's a terrible place sometimes. Things are going to happen to you that you never asked for. Things are going to happen to you that uh, just doesn't, it's just not right. And I've lived that. And I know if you've lived very long on this earth, it's going to be for you too. But he says, what you can always count on is God is right there. And you can always lean on him because he's just. He's just in what he does. And so he, he is just when, when he convicts us of sin. You need a great big amen on that one. He's, he's just when he says that um, you're going down a wrong path, that you're paying attention to the wrong things. 
And so he is the whatevers, he says, and Paul says, I want you to not be thinking about those opposites. I want you to be thinking about what's true, what's honorable, what's just, what's pure and without blemish. And that's what they, or moral defect, that purity. And that's a problem we have in our world today. I need to move on a little bit quicker here, but here it is. Whatever's lovely, that means beautiful, what's pleasing. And seeing that, that, what was that song, uh, um, On the Bright Side of Life? Seeing that bright side of life, whatever is pleasing, whatever, what, whatever is beautiful. I love rainbows. I love rainbows because it's amazing that God can do the curvature of the earth and, and can do the, 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 the water droplets. And then not only is it science that we get to see in there, but you also get to see his promise. I love rainbows because that's one of the most beautiful things. And you know what's extra special? Sometimes he'll give you a double rainbow. And if you're ever in an airplane, I was flying one time and flying over a thunderstorm over the Salt Lake City area one time. And if you're in the air, do you know the rainbow is perfectly round from the air? Isn't that great? God is so good. So whatever is beautiful, because I tell you, this world will drag you into the ugliness. It loves to have you share in the ugliness. Let that go. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, he says, whatever is deserving of approval can't go on these things very much longer because there's so much more to discover. But you see, God wants us to dwell, wants us to think on these things. Because it is so easy to get caught up in the rat race, isn't it? It's so easy to get caught up in, in the negativity and so easy to get caught up in the wrong things. God says, be different. Be joyful. Be anxious for nothing, he says here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, verse 4. Again, always again, I will say rejoice in these things. God is, is there with us and he is our strength. If God is with us, who can be against us? I tell you what, my, one of my favorite verses, and I tell you that, that I have so many favorite verses, you have to apologize because God's word just keeps adding and all these things. But it is Romans chapter 8. There's nothing going to divide us from him. There's not a principality in this world. There's not a power. There's not a dominion. There's not anything that can take us out of the love of God because he has us. Now that's strength. And if God has us, we need to understand that he wants us to dwell and think about the things that have value. And leave this world alone. It's going to drag, try to drag you into it all the time. So if we're going to do these things, we can now know that um, we need to put them into practice. Now, jump over to Acts chapter 16 with me, because I want you to see that um, Paul just didn't write these things. He lived them. Okay, this is a fantastic biblical example you see in verses 22 through 31. I've already set up a little bit. Paul and Silas were taken out by the authorities because they had healed some people and they'd also taken this possessed girl who was making money for some very influential people and they had cast the, 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 the possession out of her and now they lost all their profit and everything and they're pretty upset about it. So they throw them into jail. And they're, and they're so upset about it that you see that, uh, that they really impressed upon the jailer because it tells us they put them in the inner prison. In verse 23, And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. 
And verse 24, and having received such a command, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. He wanted to make sure they weren't going anywhere. Now imagine Paul and Silas, they're just doing what God has asked them to do. Remember, be anxious for nothing, putting all these things into practice. When all these whatevers, whatever's pure, whatever's honorable, whatever's just. And so now they're taken and they've been beaten by these rods. And they've been taken, and they've been stripped of their clothing, and now they're put in the middle of a prison, and they have their feet secured in the stocks. What they have done is they've, they've, um, this place, they have put them in the darkest, scariest place in the whole prison. The place where there's no light can get in whatsoever. There's probably no movement of air. It's probably smelly. It's probably um, full of disease. It's probably, it's probably full of prisoners. It's a scary place to be. And what they've done is, and what they wanted, is to take away the freedom of movement. And so they put them in the stocks. They put them in jail because, for one thing, they didn't want them out there proclaiming to Jesus Christ anybody. Satan has his ways, folks. And I'm going to tell you, this is a subset. Satan has his ways. And he's always going to do something, try to get you demoralized, desensitized, or distracted. So he puts them in there, and and they guard them securely. And then he puts their feet into stocks and fastens them in there. And so what they were probably doing, they were probably chained up against a wall. They had their feet up against the wall, and they probably had their hands above them. There's various ways, the various prisons out there, but they figured this is the closest that that they were going through right now. There were some pretty hard times ahead of them right here. They had no idea how this is all going to turn out. They could have been released, and, or they could be, they could be taken out and, and killed. They took away their freedom of movement. They took away their ability to walk about, that sort of thing. But here's the first point I want you guys to know. And dwell on this. This is what I call a dwell point. They took away their freedom of movement, but they could not take away their joy. Like I said, Satan wants a lot of bad things for you, but he cannot take your joy unless you let him have it. Because a lot of people just say, oh, I give up. Don't let him have it. The king of kings rules in your life. The Lord of light rules in your life. Why are you going to let the one who's already been defeated, the one who hell has already prepared for, have any place in your life? Because it's amazing, but he wants to steal the joy that you have and he will try to do everything to bind you, take away your freedom of movement, take away your capacity to speak, take away your joy, all these things, because that's the only thing he has. That's the only thing he can do. But he cannot take away the joyful expression that they had in Jesus Christ. Praise God. I love it. The Bible tells us that the word of God is not chained. Man, I tell you, the world knows it's chains, doesn't it? It knows all the chains. And we sing this song up here that Jesus is a chain breaker. He knew how to get the ones, uh, his Hebrews out of Egypt, broke those chains. They put themselves in the wilderness. He got them to the promised land. He knows, how to take the, he knows how to take the things that uh, are seemingly impossible and make them possible. You see, the thing we have to understand about God in that verse that all things are possible with God in Luke one thirty seven is this, is that God is able to make a highway out of a sea. I remember that song. 
Man, that impacted me. I was having, I was getting my worship groove on then. I'm not much of a, of a, one of these kind of guys to get up and, you know, because I, I don't have that bent, but I can tell you that when I read that, that he can make a, a highway out of a sea. Oh man, that's my God. They could not take away the joyful expression of that. And what they did is to make sure that, the, that um, this continued is they used the only thing left to them. They started to sing and they started to pray. I tell you, there may be times in your life when you have nothing else that you can do in your life, but you better know that you can still pray and you can sing. So they're fastened in the inner prison, and so they begin to sing. Look what it says there. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We'll come back to that in just a second. But here they are in the deepest, darkest pit of this place, and they found time and place to sing and to praise God and to pray. What's our excuse? If we don't pray, if we don't sing, what's our excuse? They found time in the midst of just uh, total darkness and they could do these things. And so they were concentrating on the goodness and the mercy. Go back to to Philippians. Concentrate on these things. What is honorable? What is good? What is just? Dwell on these things and the peace of God will be with you. So this is the application that we see here. And so the worship began. And what they were doing, they were dwelling and thinking about God. If I was in that, and I have to admit to you, if I'm hanging there before the idea of singing and praising come, I'd be thinking about lawyers. Think about it. I'd be thinking about lawyers, the injustice of it all, my lack of freedom, and my rights. And I'd also be thinking about my kids. It's not fair. And it's not fair that they were in there. But, oh, their response to the unfairness, because God is just as overwhelming. Look what we see, we see here. So we see that they're shackled to all these things, but they didn't let that. They didn't let that happen. They started praising. And so we can go from this idea that it's not fair to this idea that I'm going to praise you, God. Because the real is, it's, it's a very real thing, folks. Let's think about it. And let's be honest today, because this world loves to put the shackles and the chains on us. Many of us are shackled by fear, anxiety, hurt, and we carry it for years and years and years. And we let that limit us. Many times it becomes an excuse even. I can't do this because. Because of the hurt and the fear and the anxiety. And so you have those things and they've become this heavy weight that you just can't seem to throw off. What does Philippians tell us? You pray. You seek God. You, you, you have that joy in the morning. You sing your praises because I'm going to call this your midnight. Every person that I believe in this world today has some type of burden, some type of problem going on in their life. And you can take your midnight and give it to God. Paul and Silas gave their midnight to Paul, to, to, to God, and they started singing praises. And it's an amazing thing because all these shackles, these shackles we have, because once again, God is a chain breaker. He is a shackle deliverer. Isn't it time to dwell? This is the second point. Isn't it time to dwell on God's grace? 
and his, and his love for us. Because it's easy to, to focus on all the bad things out there, but I'd rather focus on God's great grace. And he can free us from those things. It tells us be anxious for nothing because of God. And I'm going I'm to live in that. So let's get down to some really good particulars here. Another dwelling point is our dwelling and thinking about God and when the hard times come, let me try to put this a little more succinctly for you. You never know what doors God is going to open when you focus upon him in your midnight. Let's read it. You never know. And so we, we see this, and, and they were praying, and they were, and they were singing, and people were listening to them. And, and don't lose that, by the way. We'll come to that, that in just a moment. And suddenly came a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now, folks, I can tell you, I have been in an earthquake. Has anybody been in an earthquake? Kelly and I were in 2011, I think. Oklahoma State was playing Kansas State in, in the Big 12 championship, I think it was. And we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we were standing there we were watching the game and Oklahoma State won that game, by the way. But anyway, while we were there... We're in that hotel room, and, you know, one of those TVs on a pedestal, and it starts doing this. And I instantly think, man, we're having an earthquake. Kelly looks over and says, what are you doing? I said, I'm not doing this earthquake, hon, I promise you. This, we're in an earthquake. She thought I was goofing around. No, this is an earthquake. And so we sat on the bed because there's nothing really left you can do. And they talked about if there's a little damage then, I think it was like a five-point-something Nothing that, of course, we see in the world and other places. But this earthquake shook us. I mean, I was a little, I had no idea, you know. I'm looking for something. They always tell you to hide in the doorway. Well, I'm looking for doorways, and there's not that many of them around. You never know what doors will open when you focus on them in the midnight. Look at what he did here. Now, I know a lot of things about earthquake, and you notice that earthquakes do a lot of destruction. Have you ever seen an earthquake release people from chains? Have you ever seen an earthquake open a door? I haven't. Now, maybe if they cro the whole thing crushes down, but it didn't say that. It was just shaken. It didn't say the whole thing fell down. It says here that the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. God used an earthquake, something of massive destruction, to let people free. See, God used an earthquake what a set of keys would do. That's our God. And sometimes he'll send these things in our path and we may understand, it's like, oh God, what's happening? Let him work. Let him work. Because Paul and there, all they're doing is they're just doing what they can. You see, it's important that we understand that we let God be the manufacturer of everything. We are just distributors. They were distributing God's grace his praises, the prayers. And God is the one who distributes. And he's the manufacturer. We're just the distributor of it. And so when we see this, we see that everyone's chains were unfastened. And God did these things. And we never know what door is going to be open. We never know when we let him be in our midnight. He's going to be able to do things that we can never ask or see or know. He can see a path that we cannot see. And I think that's a praise to him. Amen. There's been a lot of times in my life and probably a lot of times in your life you thought, man, how in the world is this going to work? 
have no idea. So he opened the doors and they were free to go. Now let's concentrate, and this is really the, the, the intensity of the story is on the jailer now. So God opened those doors, and all of a sudden the jailer, in verse 27, when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and seen the prison doors opened, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. This guy saw midnight. The only thing left to him, because I'm sure they would have crucified him, by the way, if he hadn't killed himself. This is a quick way out. This is the only option. The only way for this jailer, and, and so he's about to do it. Let me tell you something about God. Death and despair is not his desire. It's not his desire that any should die, any should perish. John three sixteen, I preached it last Sunday. John 3.16 tells us that none would perish. It is not his desire to see his creation perish. And so that's not his thing. And so when we, when we think about our problems in our midnights, and this is another point I want you to know, sometimes they attract the worst possible solutions we could ever imagine. So this is the worst possible solution for him. It is not God's motive on that. And so when we understand these things, it's going to help us to understand also that God has a way of doing things that, once again, beyond what we can see and think. But when we are focusing on the midnight, our problems, and we we tend to think, okay, I can solve it this way. Have you ever met somebody, or maybe it's you, who you've tried to solve something and got yourself in a deeper hole than when you started? I do that with Kelly all the time. That when I start thinking about something, doing something, she says, you need to stop digging because your hole's getting deeper. Sometimes she thinks, I've got a backhoe. I'm just digging deeper, digging deeper, you know. But sometimes we do that. And so it opens up the worst possible solutions. I met a man one time, he had a problem and he had a, a, a gambling problem. And his idea to get rid of his gambling problem is to gamble more. That he's going to double down. He says, I got this, Pastor. I know I can do it. I can reclaim all my winnings and, and, and pay my mortgage and all these things. And I was like, stop. Because you have a 2% chance of winning anything in the casino. Another sermon. Death and despair are not God's motive. Life is God's desire. So here we see, and he's supposing the prisoners had escaped because that's the only option out to him and that's what he's going to do. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we're all here. You see, God opened those doors not to set them free. God opened those doors to set the jailer free. So another point, our midnights are sometimes God will use them for somebody else. Isn't he great? Isn't God great? Amen. Amen. There you go. I love that one for we're all here. And, and the jailer, he called for lights because you see hope was dawning for him. That we're all here. And so there, there's going to be life. And he starts, the hope is coming on. He called for lights and he rushed in. 
And he's looking at everything. Can you imagine that? You see those old uh, 60s movies, they got the torch and they're waving around, you know. And, they, and they're, they're all here and he rushed in. But he's also so scared because why aren't they gone? I mean, I, I hate to admit it, I think I'd, I would have been a rabbit out of that place, right? But, God, but he says, we're all here. And we see he fell down before Paul and Silas because this was a broken man. The fear, the trembling, the life he had led, the, 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 uh, the, the, the scene that just happened before him, he's thinking to himself, what have I seen here? There's been an earthquake and the doors are open. These chains are unshackled. What has happened here? And I think that's a very natural question. I would be asking that. What's happened? And he, and he fell down before him and says, this is something I don't understand. Because he knew that they were singing and all of a sudden the hymns and the praises and everything. And, and we see that, that all this had happened. What does it all mean? It means that God was moving in the midst, not only in his midst, but the prisoners as well, because they were listening to the singing and the praises. Never minimize your impact. Another point, never minimize the impact you have on another person. You can do amazing things, or you can do things that are very harmful. Never minimize the impact you have on another and so this man, I want you to picture the scene. This man, this jailer, who's in a position of authority, and he's there, and he, and he, and he called for lights, and he's seen, and he's fallen down before Paul and Silas. And he's, he's absolutely trembling with fear. And what have I seen in all these things? And then he asked a great question. Sirs, look at verse 30. After he'd brought them out, because he brought them out of there, there's no reason for them to be in prison anymore, because evidently God didn't want them in there. He brought them out. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? We're going to let that one sink in just for a quick moment. What must I do to be saved? It's the greatest question. And I think it's interesting. Do you think they were sirs just a few moments earlier? No. They were now sirs because they had a relationship with God Almighty that he couldn't understand. Not only he didn't understand, but he wanted. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What is in those hymns? What's in those prayers? Everything. And so we see that the jailer, that he asked this great question in verse 31. He says, what must I do to be saved? And I love the response. This is the gospel. It's very simple. And it's meant to be simple. And people think, well, you know, I must do all these great things to be saved and everything. And I, I must do great works. And I must be proving myself to God. The only thing you've got to prove to God is that you love him and you want him. And so what we see here is verse 31, they says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. Just a small tidbit, if I may, give me just a moment. It doesn't mean because the jailer was saved, all of his household, it means that they were going to be giving the gospel to the whole household. He says, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ 
Because we see that happening in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. God wants to know that he just didn't take care of the jailer. The whole household got to receive the, the, the blessing of God and his grace. And it changed not only the jailer, but it changed his whole household as well. You want to know how to repair our nation today? You want to know how to repair your family? Stop thinking about the world and get your eyes on Christ. I tell you, I don't watch the news anymore because everybody's so convinced that the economy is going to save us. The economy hasn't saved us. It never will save us. The only thing that saves is Jesus Christ. Get your eyes off of this world. Get your eyes out of your phone. Give your phone a break for a while and let, your, and let the peace of God, which will be all understanding, filter into your life and it will repair, he will repair your family. And you just ask God, say, God, what must I do to lead my family? I think there's a great question there. You see, the jailer became a believer. The jailer became a healer. And let me also tell you this, and this is not a word, but I think it should be. He became a rejoicer. Look what it says. And when the day came, it says, believed in God with his whole household, and they rejoiced in verse 34, and they set food before them. Oh, what God can do when we just take a moment and focus upon him in our midnights. So as we come to the end of our time here, I want to ask you something. What is our mind focused on right now? Remember, we need to be in sport mode. What is your mind focused on the most? And, and you know, and, and it's a very real thing. And I'm not going to tell you that your problems, the pain, the hurt, the things, the fear, the, all the things going on. And that's a very real human emotion. But God doesn't want us living in that state. He wants us living free. What has shackled us? What keeps us from being free? Many times God will send an earthquake into your life because he has plans for it. You know, God doesn't do anything just because. He sent this earthquake because he has a plan. And there's a plan for the earthquakes and the midnights in your life. But let me ask you this last question, and we're going to pray in just a moment. Have you done anything about it? except dwell on it, except just kind of worry about it. It tells us be, be, be anxious for nothing. It's that idea of worry. And I'll, you're going to get tired of me saying it, but worry is a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you get nowhere. Isn't it time to let God have our midnights? To let God have the, 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 the things that we have no ability to overcome on our own? Isn't it time? And you may be dealing it for years and years and years. And we've held on to it and, we've, and, and it, it has affected our, our, our physical health, our emotional health, and without a doubt our spiritual health. God is not about jails. He's not about chains. He's not about shackles. He's always about setting people free. Always. So as we come to the time of the invitation, I'm going to ask you, I want you to be brave today, and I'm going to challenge you. Come down and pray. 
If you come down and pray, you may have a midnight in your life right now. Come down and pray. If you come to need to know Jesus Christ and, you, and this midnight is all around you and you have not been set free by the grace of Jesus Christ, come down. We'll pray with you. But in this church, if you just want to come down and pray for this church to be the, the, the light that we were talking about on, uh, on Wednesday nights, to be the salt and the light of the world, come down and pray for this church. Because I tell you, church, we have things to do. God has things for us. Will you come down and pray this morning? Because it's easy to sit and do nothing and still be in the same place that you were when you came in. I think it's time we spend some time with God. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for this day that you have presented to us. It's a good day. It's a day, Lord, where we get to open up the word of God. We get to open up our lungs and sing praises to you. And Father God, I'm I'm grateful that we're here today together. And Father, for this time of reflection, invitation, whatever we want to call it, but I think it's just a prayer time. Let us come and pray. Let us come and seek the Lord. Let us come and seek the Lord for our midnights, our dreams, our goals, the hangers, the, the hurt, whatever it may be. Let us not be chained any longer. Oh, praise you, God, for your grace. And we give this time to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you?